Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Um, all right, I'm really excited to jump into the Word today. Uh, if you would like, you can open your Bibles to Song of Solomon, or the Song of Songs, chapter 5. You can turn there right now if you'd like. I'm going to share a few things before we get into that, but chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. So as, as you're turning there, let me just share some introductory thoughts because I know um, we probably have some new people listening and even for those who have been paying attention, just important that we've been working through a series called Bridal Generation. And I've been, my heart has been so touched over these last few weeks, uh, especially even last week, just going deeper with the Lord. We spoke about the ravished heart of God, how he sees us as altogether lovely. But we've been engaging in this in this sermon series called Bridal Generation, and it's really emerged from the, the, the fact that so many signs and things that Jesus said that are pointing to the season of his return. And, and again, that, that season can be a, a something long. <laughs> We're not saying he's coming back tomorrow. We may not see it in our lifetime, but we definitely see an intensification of signs that he lays out of things that would uh, begin to tell us, markers that begin to tell us that that he's approaching, right? And, and I feel like anyone that's really like leaning into the Lord can just feel that internally. This is different. There's something happening here. Um, it's, it's, it, I think it's incredibly exciting for what we're going to see how it take place in the church. But one of the signs that I've really never connected that before is the fact that Jesus says over and over that the church is going to be operating as a bride because he's coming predominantly back as a bridegroom. Many generations have known him as king, but there's going to be a generation that's about to emerge that's going to know him as bridegroom king. And a bridegroom, he's coming a certain way, which means we, when he comes that way, it's because he wants something from us. He's coming as a bridegroom because he's coming back for a bride. He's coming back for a bride that's passionate, that's, that loves him. And so we've been on a journey over these last few weeks of just talking and diving into the scriptures of what it means to be a bride. What does that mean, bridal identity? And again, we've unpacked a lot already. So if you're watching for the first time, we have a podcast. You can go back. I really, I feel like this is one of the more important sermon series that we've done in a while. And that'll just intensify as we go through this. Um, but we've been on a journey figuring out what does it mean to be a bride? What does it mean to have, to be rooted and, and entrenched in beloved identity? We hit this last week, especially so important of what it means to be God's beloved. Uh, and one of the, the real big things for me that's been kind of um, motivating me through this is Jesus says often that he's not just coming back for a bride, but he's coming back for a bride that's ready. And so that to me is what does that mean to be a ready bride, right? And, and, and again, we've, we've started to speak into that. We'll continue to do that. But that's, that's where we are. That's what we've been gauging. And I think this is a really important teaching for the hour that we are in. And we've primarily been working through a book called The Song of Solomon. Now, this book, I mean, I can identify with this. It's at, it's at best, I think, often been misunderstood and overlooked. If not, it's even been rejected. People have been offended by what's in here because it is a love story between a husband and a bride, Solomon and the Shulamite bride. But we know that all scripture 
ultimately points to Jesus and that there's a picture of actually Christ as the true bridegroom and the church as the bride. And I, I think there's going to be a great shift. Many will still be offended, I believe, but there's going to be a shift where this book and things in the scriptures that testify to this this realm of intimacy that God wants, it's going to be cherished. I think Songs of Solomon will be a book that you'll hear more and more being preached and studied because Jesus is going to move us more and more into bridal identity. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to, um, I, I would put it this way, we're going to add another layer from last week. Last week, one of, our, one of the primary things I want to get across is how we are transformed by seeing who we are to God. When we see who we are, right, that passion, his desire for us, his enjoyment over our lives, it changes you. We, we, said, we said this is important. Many have asked me, and I've just thought about this myself, how do you develop passion for Jesus? I think one of the best ways is you become a student of his passion for you. That awakens you, that revives you, that encourages you when you feel just unmotivated or like you're not measuring up. You need to see how he sees you. And so in some respects, I want to continue to put before you his desire and passion for you, for intimacy, um, to grow deeper in this communion. But the layer I want to add to this is I also want to see his, his desire for, for um, the type of response that we should be giving. What, what should the response of the bride be to the one who so passionately is coming after us? And with that, what are some of the, the things, the disturbances or things that get in the way from us giving that total abandonment to him? Because the bride forsakes all others for the one she's going to marry. So why, what are those things that get in our way, right? I, I pray today that we're going to crush complacency. We're going we're gonna, to, um, I think staleness is just going to be quenched and hearts are going to burn again for the Lord. Uh, I, I believe that um, we're going to turn from idols of our heart. Things that we've just been worshiping and placing above Jesus. I think when we see his desire and again talk through these heart issues, man, we're going to release these things, repent of these things. And set our hearts fully on him in absolute surrender and absolute abandonment. So before I get into chapter 5, again chapter 5 verse 2 and 4. That, again, is going to be our, if you will, I guess our primary text. But I want you guys to follow with me for a few minutes. I, I want to share a story. You don't need to turn there, but it's in, um, it's in Genesis. And I really feel like God led me to start with this because I think it gives a beautiful picture and summary of what I've just shared, how we want to see his desire, but also what is the proper response of a bride. And uh, this is more than just an introductory thought. This is really going to just, I, I think, confront us in a beautiful way. And then from here, we'll jump into chapter five and we'll kind of add some, some more to it. But Genesis 24, I want everyone to, to really follow this. Again, I'm just going to speak through this. Genesis 24 is essentially two stories. There's the natural story and then there's the spiritual story, right? This is, we see this all throughout scripture. What I mean is that there is something that's happening in the natural, but we know that scripture, it all concerns Jesus, right? Now we have to be careful that we don't over-allegorize things. That, that, that could be an issue, but we know that there are pictures, shapes, uh, uh, shapes. <laughs> that's a combination of shadows and types. <laughs> shadows, types that are ultimately leading us to see Jesus, God through the scriptures. So check this out. Uh, Genesis 24, here's, here's, your, here's your figures. This is what's happening in the natural. You have Abraham, right? Now, Abraham is the father of the faith. Genesis 12, left all things to follow God's call. He has the promised child, Isaac. So we have Abraham. Now, Abraham's in his old age. And what he does, this is so incredible, is what he does is he calls, he calls his servant to him because his desire is to find a wife for his son. 
He says, I want to find a bride for my son. So he calls in his servant before him. Now, the servant is nameless and faceless. We don't know anything about the servant. But he basically says, I want you to go to Mesopotamia, to a city called Nahor, so that you can find a bride for my son. Now, that's what's happening in the natural. But in, in, the, in the spiritual, right, what this, what this is a type for is Abraham represents Father God. And Abraham represents the desire of the father to get a bride for his son. And the, the servant becomes representative of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I think it's so important that he's, he's nameless, he's, he's almost faceless because the Holy Spirit operates all of God, but the Holy Spirit has such a humility where he's constantly pointing to Jesus, the bridegroom. And so all of this, all of this scriptures, Genesis 24, becomes this beautiful picture of God's desire to send the Spirit to find a bride for the Son. This is seen throughout Scripture. I'm just highlighting one specific part. So what happens is the servant goes. He goes to Nahor, and he comes to a, a well. Now, he came to the well at the time when the women would come to draw water. This was very common. In fact, if you look in Scripture, oftentimes men found their wives at the well. Moses did. It's why it's so beautiful of a Samaritan woman, because you realize Jesus is getting a bride there at the well. So it's, it's really, really powerful. So he comes. So we got people making faces back here. No, you guys can't see this. They've just were moved by that. Um, so, so the servant comes to, to the well at Nahor, and the women come out. But now check this out. This is so beautiful. As he's there, the servant says he has this internal dialogue with, the, with God. No one else is hearing this. It says this in the scriptures. He's speaking to God. He's processing through something. He's saying, I want to honor my master Abraham. I want to get him a bride for his daughter that he's going to be pleased with. So he says, so God, this is what I want you to do. He does what we would say he lays out a fleece. Now, you got to hear what he does. He says, when I come to one of these women and ask for a drink, first and foremost, I want them to respond and say yes and give me a drink. So that in itself is, is, I think, already a pretty bold claim. I mean, she could have walked by. Uh, the, the, any of the women would have said, man, this guy's a stranger. I'm not going to deal with this. But he's already saying, look, I want to respond and, and, and give me a drink, right? And then he says this, though. He says, but here's the other thing, is that when I'm taking a drink, after she said yes to that, I want her on her own, without being asked, I want her to get water for all of my camels. Now, stay with me here. You would think, you may say, well, what's the big, what's the big deal with that? Just, just listen to actually how bold of a statement that this servant is making, what he's really looking for. It is estimated, and this is on the lower side, that, a, that a, uh, a desert camel drinks about 25 gallons of water at one time. He brought, he brought 10 camels. That's 250 gallons of water on a low side. The jugs that they carry to draw water are about 2.5 gallons, which means she's looking at about 100 trips. This would take several hours to do. Some have even estimated it would be as much as 50, 50 gallons that a camel would drink, which is just, just incredible. So what he's asking is he's asking something super bold. Here's the point is that the servant represents the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm seeking a bride who's going to give an extravagant response to what I'm asking. I'm seeking a bride who's going to respond wholeheartedly. I'm looking for a bride that's not just going to do the bare minimum. I want a bride that goes above and beyond. This will be a mark of the bridal generation. They will not just be looking for ways to justify why they don't need to obey God. They will not be looking for ways to find out what is the absolute minimum I have to do in my line of duty. The bridal generation will no longer be asking questions like, do I really have to fast and pray? 
do, do, I, do I really have to uh, read the word more? Do I really have to sit and worship this long? Like, do I really have to give again? The bridal generation, the Holy Spirit and God is, he's, he's making, the Spirit is, is making a bride ready by, by cultivating this bride that's going to give extravagant devotion response to the Lord. The cry of the bride is going to be complete and total abandonment giving everything, offering their full selves as a living sacrifice to him. This will be a distinguishing mark. This is why I've said before, there is going to be such a depth to the church that is about to come because they're not just interested in what do I have to just do so I can still hold on to salvation and make it to heaven. No, no, no. They are responding to God's grace and they are just giving everything to him. It's Luke 7 the sinful woman who comes into the house of Simon the Pharisee and begins to break her alabaster jar and kiss the feet of Jesus. And Simon the Pharisee, his whole party is disturbed by the way she's responding to the presence of the Lord. The casualness that they were treating the presence of Jesus at that party, that religious thing, they're being disturbed because there's someone who's come in and is giving what he's worthy of. There's going to be a bride that's coming forth that's offering up extravagant devotion this is the heart of Rebecca. She's the picture of the bride that I think is coming in, 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 in months, weeks now. Like this is what's coming before the Lord returns. Now, this, the woman who actually does this, he comes to, as he's still speaking internally, the woman's name is Rebecca, that actually as he's, as he's engaging in this conversation with God, uh, he, he asks her for a drink right away, and she does everything that he asks. She does the camels. I mean, it's incredible. She went above and beyond to the request that he had made. But here's, I think, something really important. I want to highlight a few things in this story. Number one is that her response was extravagant, but it was voluntary. It, it, was, it, was, it was freely given because God is interested in genuine love. He doesn't want robots. <laughs> See, he's so good that he actually gives us the, respond, the ability to respond either way, knowing we could choose to not come to him. It grieves and breaks his heart because it's a husband that wants his lover. But at the end of the day, he leaves that because he's after something genuine. He wants us to be so moved by his beauty and his goodness that no one has to say, hey, come on, you got to keep doing this. We're saying, what else can I give to him? I love him. This is a mark of a bridal generation. But her response was not just extravagant. It was voluntary. God woos us. God pursues us. God calls us. God will, I think, even puts roadblocks to awaken us. But at the end of the day, we have to make that choice. In fact, in verse 8 of this story in Genesis 24, while Abraham is, is having this conversation with his servant before the servant leaves, the servant actually asks, but what if she says no? What if she's not willing to come? And it says that Abraham said, if she's not willing to come, then let her stay. Don't force her. You're not going to kidnap her. You're not going to bring her. If she's not willing... Then, then don't make her. You cannot force her. It's such a beautiful picture of how God's grace empowers us but does not overpower us because he wants something genuine from us. And so what happens is, is that when she responds this way, um, the, the servant is like, he's overwhelmed. He said, this is the one. She's done exactly what I've asked, so I know this is the one. So he stops her and says, look, I'm giving you the cliff notes. She basically says, where do you live? I need to come there. I need to meet with your family. I need to talk to them. And so he goes back and spends the night with her parents and the father, Laban. And they, they, they sit and they talk. And he, he tells Laban everything, why he was sent, the fleece that he's laid out. And he basically says, you know, what do you think? And he says, look, I can't either deny or confirm this. So if, if this is what the Lord has said, then we're going to do this. And the servant gives all of these fine gifts that he received from Abraham to take with him. 
I'm going to come back to this. He gives fine gold. He gives silver, garments, linen. He gives all of these things. And then the father, Laban, says, but wait, before she leaves, can she spend 10 more days with us, and then we'll send her? And the servant basically says, look, I have favor with my master. I cannot wait. Like, if she's coming, she needs to come. And listen to what they ask. The parents turn to Rebecca and ask this question that, man, it, like, just pierced through my heart this week. They asked her in verse 58 of chapter 24. They said, will you go with this man? They look to Rebecca and say, it's your choice. Will you go with this man? And I think that I feel the spirit of God asking this question, not to unbelievers. It's to unbelievers. But it's, remember, this, this bridal generation, this is about growing and maturity in our relationship. I believe this is being asked to believers saying, I know that he saved you. I know that he's changed you. But like, will you go with him? Will you yield your life? Will you totally surrender everything to him? Because by her saying yes to that, she is essentially forfeiting where she finds security, provision, comfort from her father's household. And now she's saying, I'm going to find it in him. This is the gospel. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Don't just stay there. Why? Because you now get to follow him. You lose yourself, but you have him. Everything that you've tried to hold on to, as you forfeit it, you actually will now find it in him in the fullest of ways. I, I believe this right here. Will you go with this man? It's, it's the expression that the Bible says that the two become one, right? The Bible says marriages look like this. It's about two becoming one. They leave their father and mother's household, and the two become one flesh. What does that mean to become one? It's the loss of oneself and to another. When we become one with Jesus, it's the loss of ourselves. Part of the bridal identity, one of the staples of it, is abandonment of self. This is crucial. If we're going to grow in union with the Lord, it, it has to be because we, we, we will go with this man. A life of experiential union with Christ is dependent on the continual loss of self. Most of the time, my dissatisfaction in life, most of the time, the problems in my life, my lack of joy and peace, is because there's something in my life that I won't replace with him. There's something I'm still trying to stay in control of, and I would just release it and find it in him. I would find what my heart longs for. It's just that simple. Mark 10, 37, Jesus says this. Jesus says a statement that really is strong. He says, if any man loves his father, his mother, his son or his daughter more than me, he is not worthy to follow me. You say, wow, that's a pretty strong statement. What, what, what does he mean by that? But now apply it in the context of marriage. Think about it. Ladies who are listening and watching, which one of you would, would want to marry a man who loves his mommy more than he loves you? No one would. <laughs> and men, which one of you would want to marry a woman who refuses to leave her father's household? You see, he's asking us to be in marriage with him, and he understands that every desire we have can be met in him. So he is the only one worthy enough to demand all of our attention. And he says, he says, will you be willing to put me above everything else? And the last part I want to just share in this story, because, again, I think it just really leads us where we're going, is the fact that um, when the father agrees, I, I mentioned before that the servant gives all of these gifts that Abraham gave. And remember, the servant is representative of the spirit. And I think this is so beautiful because he gives fine gold, linen, garments, all of this stuff. And the point is, is that the bride had a choice to receive the gifts and say, I won't go with this man. We steward the gifts. We honor the gifts. We seek them. We pursue them because we know, one, it's 
obedience to the scripture, but we also know the blessing it has for others. But it's easy to actually stop there and not let us lead us to the bridegroom. And I'm not just talking about spiritual gifts like 1 Corinthians 12. I'm talking about gifts of how God has moved and touched our life. I mean, I know people in our church whose marriage has been restored. Addiction has been broken. Financial provision has taken place in the midst of crisis. And it's easy to receive that and say, thank you, but I will not truly go with this man still. I will not truly lose myself to follow him. And the question today is, will you go? Will you lose yourself in him? Will you allow him to be number one? Will you give your complete and total trust? This is a key mark of the bride. And I honestly think that deep down, the offense that people take, it's, it's projected as the language, but I really think it's because the bride is really going to confront our hearts. Because it's easy to be in ministry and all this other stuff and still not really love him, to make idols out of these. But you cannot love him and the world at the same time. And so anything that draws your love from you know, what, what you desire in this world, you'll ultimately you'll start to actually hate. And if Jesus is drawing our hearts to say, I want to be supreme, many will find that, that offensive. So let's, let's um, I'm just going to spend a few minutes in this scripture. But again, I think that just sets a stage for us that the, the bride, the bride, or I should say the bridegroom is looking for a bride whose, whose whole heart is, is, is given to him. And so chapter 5, verses 2 through 4, I want to read in Song of Solomon and just continue on this theme. Remember that this book is a book of maturing love from beginning to end. It's a beautiful progression of one growing in the Lord. We shared this last week. And because of that, we see the bridegroom's desire to, um, to grow in intimacy with his bride. Jesus desires to grow in intimacy with us. But what we find, and this is important, what you find in the book of Song of Solomon is that there are these pockets where it seems like there is a disconnect between her and her husband and her lover. That's happening in the natural, but the spiritual is that, is that there's a disconnect between intimacy. And what I want you to see is his passion and desire to break through those distractions, to keep growing in intimacy. And I also want us to see what are some of those things that get in the way. So here's verse 2. This is the, um, this is the, uh, the bride, if you will, the church, us. She opens up here in verse 2, and she says, I slept, but my heart was awake. I, I take this to mean that there's some type of dreaming or a vision that goes on here. I slept, but my heart was awake. And then she says this. She says, a sound. My beloved is knocking. Open to me, he says. If you were to give a title to this message, that's what I'd give it. Open to me. My sister my love, my dove, my perfect one. So he comes to her. He says, open to me. He says, my sister. Remember last week we said that this emphasizes partnership. Love seeks partnership. And the fact that it's a sister means that it's because they're of the same kind. He became flesh so that we could become one. So he says, open to me, my sister, my love, the one I'm passionate for, my dove, my pure one, whose devotion is towards me, my perfect one, my blameless one who's covered in my grace. He says, for my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. I had put off my garment, how could I put it on? I had bathed my feet, how could I soil? And that's her response to him knocking and speaking. And then it says in verse 4, my beloved put his hand to the latch, meaning he put his hand through the door, and my heart was thrilled within me. All right, I'll just, just stop there for a moment. Jesus, Jesus in this text is pictured on the outside trying to get in, right? Now, 
I, when I go through these things, I have to really think about this because I say, well, how does this apply to a believer? Remember, this is a message to the bride. So what does that look like? Jesus on the outside, I thought he lives in us. How could this be? And I want you to understand the imagery that's being presented here. I think it's best described in John 15 where Jesus says, I remain in you, but you must remain in me. Meaning he can remain in you while you're not remaining in him. You are born again of the Holy Spirit, but to remain in him is to make consistent contact with his presence and fellowship. He can be remaining in you, and you're not bearing fruit because you're not remaining in him. This is the picture. She's in, she, he is in her. This is, a, this is a fellowship that they're in, but there is some type of disconnect, some type of distraction, something, some type of wedge that has come in between their fellowship. When I read this, this, this opening, uh, this phrase in that opening verse, it says, open to me. I, I, when I read this, I see two realities converging in this phrase. On the one side, when Jesus comes to the door of our hearts and says, open to me, I, I see this expression encapsulating the desire of God for you. Open to me. I don't know. There are places where you see it just so strongly. This is one of the most beautiful, I think, presentations of something has happened in their intimacy. And Jesus stands at the door of a heart saying, open up to me. I want you. You're focused on doing other things. And I'm standing here. The other thing that converges is not only his desire, but it's man's responsibility. Open to me means that man has an entrance for him to come in. See, whether we recognize it or not, if it's conscious, unconscious, directly or indirectly, I, I think we all, I know I do at least, have a tendency to shut him out. I have a tendency to do the work of the Lord while not drawing from the life of the Lord. I have a tendency to go in his name, his, his, his purpose, his plans. I have a tendency to carry on in those things, but he's not the source and center of what I'm doing. This is the picture that's being represented here. She's in him. She knows him, but he's on the outside. This is like the essence of religion, where you start getting stuck in this rut. You get burnt out because Jesus, the fellowship is, is broken. And I, I believe in my heart, and, and this is from his compassion, that Jesus' heart mourns. He mourns over our lack of awareness of his presence. Because we go about our day going, 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 and the whole time, if you just stop, you can hear him saying, open to me. I feel so empty. I feel like I keep trying and trying, but no fruit is manifesting in my life, in my ministry. What's the problem? And there's a voice standing there saying, open to me. Come to me. Could it be that if Christ lives in us as a believer, that one of the greatest sins is to live moment to moment unaware of that presence with you? And you hear him saying, open to me. And so as I'm reading this, let me highlight this desire first. His desire. It says in the opening verse, it says, my beloved is knocking. He waits, he waits for us knocking. He doesn't knock one time and say, she's not home, I'm out of here. He's there. I want you to catch his desire, his persistency to grow in, in intimacy with us. He's knocking, he's waiting. Now, you'd say, well, why does he knock? Well, certainly it's to come in, but first it's to get our attention which means that oftentimes I think this door that you see here or in Revelation 3 with Laodicea, it's often a door of distraction. He's saying, man, listen, guys, your priority may have changed, but my priority has never changed. It's always been to have intimacy with you first and foremost. It's always been to eat with you. You may have gotten caught up in all of the doing for me, but, man, what I want first and foremost besides the things that you do is I want your, I want your heart. So listen to this. In verse 2, after he says, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one, Listen to what he says. He says, for my head is wet with dew 
my locks with the drops of the night. This is so beautiful. He is trying to get her to open up to him. And one of his appeals that he's making here is he's, he's giving a description of the discomforts that he endured in his search for her. He's saying, open to me. He says, look, look, my hair is drenched, my locks with, the, with, with, with dew. I've been searching all over. I have worked hard. I've been through so many discomforts to be able to have this fellowship with you. Do you know what this is expressing? I believe when I was reading this, I think this is expressing a, a moment in particular of Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it says in Luke twenty two forty four, it says that while he was there in the garden, that it says that his hair, his locks were dripping wet from the stress of what he was about to take on. This is Jesus saying, open to me. He's saying, remember me, the one who has laid down his life for you. I, I, I endured the shame of the cross, not just before man, but before God. Isaiah 53, 4 says that he was smitten by God. He was actually rejected by the Father because he who knew no sin became our sin. He was literally dealt with as if how we should have been dealt with. And he's saying to hearts that have been just cold and caught up in other things, he's saying, do you remember me whose, whose locks dripped with sweat, actually blood, out of passion for you to save you? Open up to me. Why do you resist to me? The, the, the phrase open to me, as I thought about this, I said, man, the passion of him. He says, open to me. Who's this? This is the one who on Calvary opened his arms up for you. As his arms are open, now he's saying, you can trust me. Let me in. And so Jesus knocks. He speaks, right? He, he comes knocking. I want you to see this, in, this just pursuit. Knocking, speaking, and then finally verse 4, because she's, she basically is hesitant to come, he finally reaches his hand in. Jesus speaks, or Jesus knocks. Jesus speaks. Then Jesus reaches, just hoping that if she becomes aware of his presence there, it will cause her heart to burn again. Oh, how he does this in our lives over and over. We get stale, dry, and Jesus comes through people. He comes through signs driving down the road. I mean, he comes through books that you weren't even trying to, you know, pursue the Lord. He just comes out anywhere. It's him knocking. It's him speaking. It's him reaching, just hoping if he or she can just see me again, I know her heart will burn once more for me. And the hand that he reaches in with is what? It's the hand that was pierced. He's saying, look, look at my wounds. Look at my wounds. Remember me. Remember the one who's laid down his life for you. Open up, for, open up to me. And then I, so here's, here's, here's the other part of this is why don't we open up though, right? Why do we resist that? Madame Guyon says he, he searches for those who offer no resistance. Why do we resist to the one who went through what he went through, those discomforts for us? Well, I think this text gives us some, 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 uh, some reasons why. And I want to just highlight three of these things real quick. Number one is if you look in the text, when he's coming to her, when he's, saying, when he's knocking, when he's saying, open to me, she says in verse 3, I had put off my garment. How could I put it on? I had bathed my feet. How could I soil them? In other words, in the natural, what she's saying is, I'm all ready for bed. <laughs> I can't get back up, right? What does that mean in the spiritual? I, I, we need to call it for what it is. I know I need this called out in my life. Is that really what she's saying is, I don't want to be inconvenienced. It's the word in the Bible, I would call it, it's slothfulness. It's inactivity. It's, it's, it's laziness. It's not responding to his voice. And if you stay in that rut long enough, your heart starts getting numb. Now, now the beautiful thing is the reset, the reset is simple. It's just to respond to open our hearts. But if we don't, 
it happens to me where we get caught up and it's like, I don't want to break these rhythms that I'm in. And he's like, he's just standing there saying, come open up to me. And, and, and she, she says an expression, how could I? That's actually an expression used in the Bible. What it means is not that the act was impossible, but that she was unwilling. She was unwilling to open. Remember, we said buying oil, which is this is the season we're in. Buying oil, it's not just about earning. That's not what it means, but it does mean it's costly. This intimacy, it means coming off the, the, the edge of Christianity and really diving into the Lord. This book, I think the more I go through it, this book completely debunks the lie that the experiential union with Christ is not meant to be consistent. Meaning it's meant to just be like on and off. And man, he, there's actually God-ordained seasons of dryness. Actually, Jesus said, if you drink of me, you will, will never thirst. Not saying you don't go through hard things, but this idea where we're not meant to be in experience with him and know him, it's a lie. And this book shows it. However, what we do see is that there are several times where there's distancing between her and the Lord, and it's because of her own sin or sloth. Those are the two primary things. And I have found in my life that he wants consistent communion with me. And typically when I feel dryness or, or I just feel like I'm not connected, it's usually, it usually comes to one of those two things. Laziness, something has happened where I've stopped pursuing him the way that I once have. But amazingly is that when he reaches her hand in, her heart is thrilled, it says. And I find that I put him off, I put him off. You know, it's not like it once was. I put him off, and then guess what? Somehow he reaches his hand in some way through a person or something, and guess what? My heart is thrilled, and I realize, why was I resisting? <laughs> why did I fight? He's actually what my heart has always wanted. If, you're, if you feel like that, I t turn to him. Watch your heart will be thrilled in a way that nothing else uh, can, can do. In fact, the stuff you're holding on to, you realize it's not worth it because only he can do that to you. Secondly, I think fear. I think we don't open the door because we're afraid that somehow he's going to rob us of some pleasure or that he's, he's going to so disturb and distort our life or our personality in a negative way, and we're like, I don't want this to happen. Um, now, let me, just, let me just say this. The Lord, first of all, the Lord can disturb and, and distort things in our life. But here, here's, here's the reality is that if God does something like that, anything he takes is to spare us from its deadly effects so that we could find what is all satisfying in him. And I know in my life, sometimes we have relationships, we have things that we know we really haven't brought before God because we're afraid of his leadership to speak in and say, no, not yet, or whatever it may be. But listen to me, if he spares you from that, it's because he knows what it could do to your heart. And so you don't need to be afraid, again, I'm speaking to believers, to open up fully, like every part of your life, because where he'll lead you is always for your best intention. Here's another thing I want to share in this, is I think fear, another thing that comes into fear is, I know in my life, is that I've shut him out so often that I'm afraid that it's too late. <laughs> but we don't know his heart for us. I feel that I've shut him out so many times in the past, he won't love me like he, like he did the first time. But listen to me, when he came to her and said, open up to me, how did he come? He said, my love, my, my dove, my perfect one, my sister. In other words, he encourages her to open up by speaking over how he sees her and how he describes her devotion to him. And in those moments, if I didn't hear that voice, I'm thinking to myself, I'm a hopeless hypocrite. I'm jacked up. I can't get this right. I never measure up. I come under condemnation. But then you actually hear the one who's knocking say, no, no, this is how I see you. Let this encourage you to open back up to me. You don't need to fear me coming in. And the third thing on this that I think is really important is, is what I would call in my life 
stubbornness. <laughs> and I really think this is important. Jesus speaks to, to religious leaders and calls them stiff-necked. What this means is that you, um, it, it's, 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 an, it's an unwavering adherence to one's will. Right? And we just said that if you're going to be in union with Christ, you've got to yield your will to his. And so what I find is that Jesus will come to me, and I can hear him saying, open up to me, but I don't want to lose myself. I don't know what will happen. Like, God, not here, not now. Like, not in this public place. He does it often in, in the prayer closet, but God, in service, like I'm the pastor. Like, if I really respond to what you're doing, I may just fall on my face right here. I don't know what will happen. Like, I don't know. So what, what stubbornness is, is, Lord, I sense you. I hear you knocking, I see you reaching, but I'm not going to let you take me out of myself. Or I'm not going to let you take, out, take me out of the controlled presentation of myself. I'm going to hold to where I am because I don't know what will happen. And I want to I encourage you that if you, you sense him moving, you don't need to be afraid what will happen. Like when you hear him knocking, respond and yield to what the Holy Spirit is doing and how he's speaking. We shared this actually before, I think before we even got into the word, that the Lord will do more in those moments than you can accomplish in a lifetime of study. And that's not devaluing study, but Jesus says it's always about the heart. Do not harden your heart, but open your heart. So what happens is when you feel the Holy Spirit saying, he's leading you to Jesus, say, open to me right here, right now. Like, this is how I want to come. You've got to yield, cast off all restraint, and come under that leading. And let him do what he wants to do. I've experienced both sides, where I've said yes and where I've said no. And when I've said yes, I may look a little bit weird to some people, but what he's done in my heart, like we don't understand how it's so connected to something else, and that's actually how he sets us free and, and how he liberates us. And I've spoken to people, and maybe you can relate, people have been in public worship, and I, after service, they're like, man, when you guys were singing about joy, something was saying, like, jump up and down for joy and run around. And what that is, that's, that's the Lord, in a sense, saying, open to me. Let me come this way. But then we say what? We say, well, no, I don't know what's going to happen. And it's like, well, I'm just going to put that off. God would have done something deep in our heart. That's the stubbornness that has to go. We have to be willing to say, okay, I'll, I lose myself for you, Lord. Madame Guyon said that we cannot arrive at divine union without repose of the will. The will has to be yielded if we're going to have divine communion. So don't just be, don't just be content with awareness of his invitation. Like, I stop there all the time. Yes, Lord, you still want me. You're still knocking. You're still seeking. You're still, you're still reaching your hand. I'm so thankful that. But if I don't respond, guess what happens? My heart just goes right back to where it was. He's doing that to thrill our hearts to bring us back to him. I want to share one more scripture with you, and we'll close here. Turn with me to chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and I'll share this quickly. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. I want to share this last, last scripture. I, it just so confirms everything that we've shared already. And this, again, is, is the bride. She's speaking. Listen to what she says. She says, the voice of my beloved, behold, he comes. So he comes. He initiates, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold. There he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. Now check this out. This is so beautiful. It's almost what we've just shared. There's another expression of it. Again, there's a disconnect here. But she says, behold, here comes my beloved. He's, he's leaping and bounding over mountains and hills. Leaping and bounding. When I hear that, I think of someone who's eager. I think of swiftness. There's, like, there's, there's an intensity that he's coming with. He's passionate to come to her. 
And he's leaping over what? Mountains and hills. Now, what are those? Scriptures say if you speak to the mountain, it will go. We know mountains and hills are obstacles. They're barriers. They're things that get in the way of our relationship with him. So what she's saying, saying, behold, look. Look at the one who came with such eagerness, who came so swiftly to deal with every spiritual mountain and hill that has existed between you and him. What is the greatest hill of all? Calvary. Death itself. Like what this is saying is look at the one who actually dealt with death. He conquered death. He conquered the grave. He conquered, he conquered hell. He conquered the grip of the dominion of darkness over your life and transferred you into the kingdom of light so that you can have fellowship. All of it's been dealt with. He has used his resurrected power to wipe aside everything that stood between you and him, but then check this out. Check this out. Oh, I want to show you. He leapt from heaven. Th this is amazing. I, I, the picture I have is he leaps from heaven. He forsakes everything in heaven for you. Every other love story pales in comparison to what we are reading right here. The true king that has come. But then listen to this. In verse 9, it says, Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. And I said, wait a minute, hold on. He just leapt and bound over mountains and hills, yet he gets to this wall and he gets stuck? He gets to these windows and lattice? Walls, windows, and lattice stop this guy? But he can hop over every mountain and every hill. What does he speak? It's the will of man. This is what he's talking about. He's saying, I've conquered everything that exists between me and you. But the wall that's there, that's a wall that you've put up. That's the wall of pride. That's the wall that says, I already know this stuff. I've heard this before. I've encountered Jesus a lot. Like, I'm good with where I'm at. It's, it's the wall of, of our own spirituality. It's the wall of stubbornness. It's the wall of inattentiveness. And, man, he won't just break through that. But what we see is that he's continually seeking, looking through the windows and the lattice, saying, come to me, open to me. He doesn't just come to one window. It says windows, which means, again, he's not just looking through saying, oh, I, I don't see Caesar. I'm out of here. <laughs> he's saying, wait, I don't see him. Let me look to the next one. Maybe I can find him in the next one. Maybe in the next one. And he's just looking, 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 saying, look, I've destroyed everything. I'm here. Like, lay down the walls. Lay down these things. Let me, don't be afraid for me to take you deeper. Don't, let me, uh, don't be afraid to let me um, take you out of the comfort of where you are because I have something greater for you. Ray, you can go ahead and uh, if you could put something on for me. And the last thing here, if you were to go a few verses later, in verse 15, there's an expression that we quote a lot from this. And I, I'll just, this is what it says. They talk about how we need to catch the little foxes that spoil the vineyards. We say this a lot, right? But now I think we understand a little better of its context. It's what comes in the way of fellowship, right? The little foxes that spoil the vineyards. What does that mean, right? He's giving, he's giving this vine language. Well, we know Jesus is the true vine, right? And we know that when we abide in Jesus, fruit is produced. Foxes will eat what's in the vineyard and stop fruit from being produced, which means the little foxes are small compromises that get in the way of us abiding so that we are not producing fruit anymore. It could be a number of things. But what I hope you see is that the Lord, he comes leaping and bounding. He comes with his, the, his, his locks dripping wet saying, look who it is. He comes reaching his hand in, revealing his passion for you so that we would give everything unto him. So I want to pray for, for everyone that's watching, those in this room right here. I want to pray that, that we would give a wholehearted response. We'd be like Rebecca give everything to him. We will go with this man because he's given up everything for us. We will truly be 
an example of what it means to be a bride of Christ. So wherever you are, you can respond and whatever that looks like, standing, whatever it may be. But I want you, I want you to do something to respond to him opening up to you or asking you to open to him, I should say. I want you to respond to the one that's standing at the wall. Maybe you've been hurt by so many other people and you've put up walls because you said, I'll never let someone else in like that again. But he's different. His banner over you is love, which means he leads you with compassion and tenderness. And you can open your heart to him. You can entrust him with everything in your life. These scriptures reveal how available God is. It's so simple to reset. He's standing there. He's already there. He's simply saying, turn to me. A.W. Tozer said, let no man say he wants more of God because if he wanted more of God, he would get more of God because he, meaning God, gives himself freely to all. And so Holy Spirit I believe, I believe those words of Tozer to be true. Which means, Lord, we need you to reveal to us what is it that we've allowed to be erected in our heart? What is it that we've allowed to be elevated above our bridegroom? And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would, you would help hearts to turn wholeheartedly unto the Lord this morning. I pray for the hearts of Rebecca, I pray that would become a type for, for home church. We would see brides giving extravagant response and devotion to you, Lord. I pray, God, that we would yield, we would surrender, we would lose ourselves in you fully, trusting ourselves completely with you, Lord. Oh, Lord, I just pray against the lies that, that I myself can communicate at times and say, maybe I'm just not meant to be that satisfied in the Lord. Maybe I'm always meant to just have this thing here. But Lord, I, I just, I pray, God, that those things are crushed in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, we, we would have a clear sight of things in our own life that we're allowing to be there, the barriers that we're allowing to be there, Lord. We turn from them. We, we repent of them. Even in your own words, you can tell the Lord the things that you know, people, things, jobs, whatever it is, saying, Lord, I'm sorry, this thing, it's been above you. And Lord, this week, I pray especially that your passion for every individual that's listening would be what moves them to give you more. I pray it would not be from a religious duty, but from the delight of a bride who is in love. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, Again, Revelation will be this Wednesday. We'll be sending out some information. And then next week, next Sunday, I hope to see many of your faces, bring friends, family. It's going to be an awesome time. So have a great week, guys.